Today's Advent theme, the pink candle that we lit is uh, for love. Um, I believe love is second only to the center candle itself, the Christ candle. Uh, if you are going to rank the themes of Advent, love has got to be a very close second to the one in the middle. And the, the high ranking is not me being overly sentimental or just kind of a mushy-gushy kind of guy. Um, this is what the Bible tells us. I mean, the Word of God is very clear about the importance, the dominance, the impact, the wow effect of love in our lives. Um, just, just to name two authoritative figures in Scripture, both Jesus and Paul say this in the clearest possible language. Jesus, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, he says, of all the commandments, can we all agree there are a few commandments in Scripture, Right? There's a lot of them, right? Of all the commandments, love is the greatest. Now, there's an absolute statement for you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when you take all of the virtues that there are to the faith, okay, all, you know, fruit of the Spirit, all, all of these wonderful things we find God doing to us, if you want to rank all of the virtues, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, love is the greatest. Pretty big deal, Right? Now, what's important for us to recognize is that they are not talking about human love. Human love is amazing, okay? Anybody ever felt it before? You want to go back there again? It's really good. Human love is great. I mean, we celebrate it all over the place. The heights of human love. You know, look at the movies. Listen to poetry. Go watch a play sometime. Turn on the radio. And I don't care what genre of music you like. If you still need to be saved and you like country music, okay? Or, you know, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what you listen to. You run into the theme of love all the time. Even when love isn't what, what the song or the play is about, love always comes into the mix. We celebrate human love. We love love, right? Young men will make fools of themselves when they fall into this thing called human love. Amen. <laughs> uh, I think of my brother-in-law, okay? Here's a story about my brother-in-law. Way before he was my brother-in-law, um, so, which means before Jane's sister was my sister-in-law, um, he woke up, her whole family one morning, standing on the grass at 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? Serenading her, all right? Nobody, nobody knows this guy, right? And here he is, and you see all these dew tracks where he's walked. He's got a big sign, a bunch of flowers, and he's just, you know, singing up to her. And that's, that's what we do because of love. Human love is awesome. But Paul and Jesus and the rest of Scripture, when they hit us with this theme of love, they are talking about the love of God. And listen, if you have never realized it before, the love of God blows human love out of the water. It is so much wider, so much deeper, so much richer. I'm getting excited. I'm, you know, in my notes, I'm not supposed to get excited to like over here. I can't help but getting excited about the love of God. It's so incredible. I can't even describe it for you today, even to talk about the love of God. The only, the only words I can find are the words that we already have in the Bible. Let me, let me read you a few things that Scripture says about the love of God. Psalm 36, 7. How priceless, wow, there's a word. How priceless is your unfailing love. Never, ever fails us. Joel 2, 3. 
return to the Lord your God. Okay, Joel, why should we return to the Lord our God? He's got an answer. Because God is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. It just speaks to the volumes of love in God's heart, the size of God's heart. Think of the Grinch three times that day, nothing in comparison to the size of God's heart for us. The strength of God's love. Well, let's think about that for a minute. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, wow, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, okay, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, none of that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my goodness. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5, we deserve wrath. Would anyone like to argue this morning that we do not deserve wrath? Please don't argue. You'll lose it, okay? We deserve wrath, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And then, of course, there is the definitive, okay? I mean, this is the in the argument scripture. 1 John 4, verse 8. God is love. Oh, my goodness. It's not God is loving. God is love. Love describes God in one word. This is who he is. This is how he acts. This is what fuels him all the way through history. Everything we read about our God, I mean, every word, every thought, every movement toward us, it's love. That's incredible. It captures God. Wow, 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 wow. And all of that is great. But see, here's the thing. The question, how does God love us? Right here, in the here and now, how does God show his love for us? Because listen, all this, all this love talk, who cares? Who cares if God is love if we never taste it, if we never experience, if we never run into it, if we're never filled with it? These are just words, right? Or who cares that God is love if we have to wait 60, 70, 80, 90 years until we leave this earth to run into it? It wouldn't matter a whole lot. The point is this. We need a love that is more than just a word on a page. We we need a love that makes a difference in our lives, in our world. We need a love that captures our hearts, captures our attention, captures our affections, that makes us want to run in the other direction with what? Arms high uh, and, and a heart as wide as the sea. We need that love. Otherwise, all this God talk is, you know, it, it, it's, it's about as useful as a kickstand on an armored tank. <laughs> Military men, does that, does that resonate? I mean, it's just not useful. So today what we're going to do is we're going to examine the love of God. Get ready for a feast, get ready for a treat. So let's start with today's Advent scripture again as we look at the love of God for you and me. Isaiah 49, uh, 40 verse 9, you heard it before, you'll hear it again. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a whisper. No, with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Right here in this passage, 
God's love passes the very first test of real love. And you might be like, wait wait a minute, Steve, hold on. I didn't even hear the word love mentioned here. How did it pass the test? Well, the first test of real love is presence. When somebody really loves you, they show up in your life. They are there. You know, a card is great. You know, a warm wish, a prayer, all of that's wonderful. But when somebody loves us, they're present in our lives. I remember years ago, Jane and I were in a parenting small group. And, uh, and here's why we were in the parenting small group, okay? Um, we, we were fairly newly married, and we were still learning to love each other. You know, and that takes some work, you know? I mean, you know, just, okay, she's different, and I'm different, and, you know, uh, we're trying to love each other. Well, lo and behold, this other little thing comes along that, that, you know, named Harrison, and it's like, we're trying to love each other. Now we got this, and this doesn't act like us, and this is on a different schedule, and what do we do with this? So we took this parenting class, and I remember one of the first, the very first videos, the speaker said, you know, you parents, the greatest gift that you can ever give your children is quality time. And I heard that. I went, you know what? That's pure gold. That is pure gold. I'm taking it to the bank. I'm going to live that out. But here's the thing. Many years later and many children later, I disagree with that. Okay, I disagree with that because there is actually something that comes before quality time, and it's simply time. Our children need time. Our children need our presence. You know, that they need us in their lives, in their world, in their space. They need us for the ups and the downs, the victories and the defeats. Our children need us to listen to them, speak to them, guide them. But you know what else they need? They, they also need us to goof off with them, right? They need us to build Legos with them. They need us to be there. It's the first job of a parent. Be there. Be present. Be visible. Occupy their space. I tell you, my father, Ron, a great guy. I wish he was here today, but um, he will listen to this next week. My dad is a great example of this. He did not do everything right. I've yet to meet the dad who has done it all right. But growing up, my father did this in my life. You know, when it came to our time, all week long I tried to remember, I I, I could not recall uh, just moments where, you know, we, 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 we sat face to face and, you know, we drank tea and we discussed rich philosophies and you like the way I'm crossing my leg, you wonder if I'm gonna fall over. You know, we didn't sit around and talk about the intricacies of theological minutia. Um, my dad, you know, we didn't get up and he didn't pie chart for me how to be an incredible father. And, and how to be the best dad I could ever be, and how to be the best church leader and Christian and citizen, my father simply was a part of my life. Ron Keller was there. And I'll tell you this, I learned how to be a man from that time. Rubbing up against him, you know, watching him react to situations. He was in my life, and it, and it changed my life. So this week, I decided I would practice this by accident. Um, I, uh, uh, a movie opened this week. Um, can't remember the name of it, but this movie opened, right? So, so I'm going to this premiere party, and what we did was a bunch of us geeks got together, and we said, hey, let's watch a marathon of the old ones before the new one. So the, the problem, I had, I had a big dilemma because... The person who hosted this, Caleb Jones, um, said, look, you can't get in the door of my house unless you wear something Star Wars. And I'm like, 
man, I don't have anything Star Wars. So I'm sitting around the kitchen with Noah, and I'm like, I don't have anything Star Wars. And so one of us comes up with the idea, so why don't we make something? And I was like, you know, we should do that. So Noah and I, we grabbed tape, we grabbed a box. You can tell this is going to be a classy thing. And we made this unbelievable mask together, and it was just, do y'all want to see it? Okay. So Noah and I made this mask for the great premiere. It's amazing, all right? I probably need to tell you what it is. It's a sand person. But, you know, this mask, Noah said, can I have it and put it on my shelf as just a reminder of our day together? And I went, man, you made the point for me, Noah. You made the point. By the way, we made a second mask after the first because we got so good at it. So let me show you the second one we made. This one's incredible. Sorry, Lord, I repent of lying uh, before the congregation. Y'all, that, that is Isaiah's point in Isaiah 40, verse 9. He's saying, look, Israel, when it comes to you, your God is not somewhere else doing something else. Your God is with you. Your God is here. Now, he's, of course, prophesying to something else. That, I mean, God's really going to be there soon. But he's saying, look, your God is here. He's with you. He's in this room with you. He's in your space. He's above you. He's before you. He's all around you. This is who your God is. And this, this principle, this point of where God is when it comes to all of us, even before Jesus shows up, it's everywhere in Scripture. Let me read you just a few of these, okay? So you want a GPS God, here you go. I'm going to give you the coordinates. To Abraham in Genesis 28:15. Abraham, I am with you. I will never leave you. Oh. To Jacob. Genesis 31, 3, Jacob, I will be with you. To Moses, in Exodus 3, verse 12, the exact same phrase, I will be with you. Then a little later, to Joshua, who's getting ready to take over, and Joshua has watched God be with Moses. God says this to Joshua in 3, 7, Joshua, I am with you as I was with Moses. To David, 2 Samuel 7, 9, David, I have been with you wherever you have gone. Some of us need to let that sink in right now. Wherever you've gone, I've always been there. Isaiah, 41.10, do not fear, Isaiah, for I am with you. And then finally to Jeremiah in chapter 119, Jeremiah, I am with you and I will rescue you. So get it for all of these guys, okay? Whether they were in the valley of the shadow of death, whether they were walking across the burning sands of Egypt, it doesn't matter what the impossibility was. It, it really doesn't matter how normal and blah the day was. Where has God been? One phrase, 10 letters, I am with you. Here's the thing. This isn't just their reality. This is our reality. When it comes to God today in your life, I want you to know something. God is not right now, as far as you and I are concerned, he's not off in the Andromeda galaxy taking care of business. That is not where God is as far as we are concerned. You know, God, God is not um, trying to put together peace talks in the Middle East. God is not off repairing the San Andreas fault. Same phrase with these folks in the Old Testament, your God is right here. Your God is before you, he is beside you, he is around you. If you are a child of God, you know where else he is. He is in you, 
If you are not a child of God, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, do you know you can take care of that problem with a prayer of belief? Invite him in. Because look, here's Jesus' heart. John 14, 17 through 19, Jesus says this, the Holy Spirit whom I will send, he will live in you. And the you is every person who has invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of their lives. God in you. And then he says this, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Because I live, you will live. What does he mean by live? Oh, honey, just check out the wall. I've come that they might have life, life to the full. That's what he's talking about. Live. We have this hunger for this. Jesus promises it. This is the beginning of, of the love of God. God is just here. But there is the matter of quality time because quality time is really important. You know, parents, we got, we got to love our kids richly, right? Deeply. So how has God shown us quality love? How has God really loved us deeply, really shown up and really make a difference? I mean, God, God, what's your plan here? Okay, well, here it is. Few big ways that God is here to love us deeply. Number one, our God is here to be our Father. I know when I say that word, there are some in the congregation that you are like, man, I wish you wouldn't have said that. That is a tough concept for me. And for some of us, it is hard to hear that word because our fathers, even though we love them, you know, they weren't good fathers. I mean, man, if you pull up the litmus test, they fail on like eight out of nine. They weren't good fathers. Or maybe our father wasn't there when we were growing up. You know, maybe they, maybe, maybe they died early. That happens. Maybe they left. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why men are not good fathers. This is a word that might not make everyone's heart rejoice, but today I want to challenge you to do something. Let the Word of God redeem this name, okay? As you hear me talk about the fatherhood of God, let it, may your heart just come to life as I speak this. That's a prayer over you. And by the way, dads, if you're looking for a good role model, you're getting ready to hear about him right now. So here we go. 1 John 3, 1, God is Father. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. This is a passage about adoption, okay? In other words, this is God choosing us. Remember, I said we, were, we deserve wrath, right? Well, whose wrath do we deserve? We deserve His wrath. I mean, we are, we are children, literally, before Jesus. We are children on the streets of sin. Man, God, God saw us. God loved us. He sought us out. He said, I want you to be mine. Come and live with me. Be my child. Let me love you. Let me lavish love upon you. This is the fatherhood of God. He chose us for himself. Whoa, that's major. Here's another one. Psalm 103.13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know what compassion is? Compassion is love in action. You know, co the, compassion doesn't sit over here and go, hey, I love you, trust me. Compassion moves toward us. I mean, compassion is, man, when, when we're dying, when we're drowning, compassion has to do something about it. Compassion has to step in and, and raise us up and fill us up and reclaim us and renew us. This is God's heart. This is a father. And then finally, there is the piece de resistance about the Father's heart, okay? This verse, I'll just tell you, makes my top 10 of verses of all time. It's very obscure, 
So you get a free pass if you've never heard this one because the first time I heard it, I went, I didn't even know this one was in the Bible. It's Deuteronomy 33.12. And it says, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him because God shields him all day long and the one the Father loves rests between his shoulders. You get the imagery there? This is literally God, right? Because, you know, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how, how big and strong you are, we are spiritual children to God. This is God our Father holding us like an infant, shielding us and giving us rest. And I get it, that verse is not very macho, but oh, it's good. Oh, I mean, that's just a verse you want to wrap yourself around. This is the Father's heart for you. This is Father love. This is our God. But God doesn't only show up as Father in Scripture and love us in that way, that quality way. God shows up in another way to love us, and, and that is as our shepherd. This theme is all over the place. Now, let me just tell you about shepherds, um, about, about this issue of shepherd. We desperately need a shepherd. You know why? Because we're not just spiritual children. We are spiritual sheep. And if that sounds insulting to you, I love what Tim Keller says. You know, being called a sheep by God is a divine insult. It really is. We need a shepherd. And you might say, well, Steve, what's the difference really between a children and shepherd? I mean, they're both kind of needy and all this. The, the, the difference between children and sheep is like everything. Okay, let me, let me point out some differences. Um, sheep by nature are docile. They are meek. They are tame. <laughs> and they are obedient. Uh, does that describe any one of your little children in this room? <laughs> Man, no way. Not by nature, not all the time. Okay, children, complete opposite. Here's another one. Sheep are followers, right? They, by nature, they will follow their shepherd. Children, holy cow, everything bright, you know, everything shiny, you know, uh, anything that moves behind them. I mean, this is children, Right? I think, I think of Noah when he was two years old, right? We took our eyes off of this kid for one minute, right? He's in front of us in the house doing whatever. Took our eyes off him for one minute. Lucy or somebody said, oh my gosh, there goes Noah. You know where he was? He was running down the street naked. That kid, <laughs> he got all of his clothes off and he was like nine, nine houses down. That's, that's just children. Followers? Oh, I don't think so. No. Sheep, sheep have incredible memories, they have astounding memories. My children, now not the older ones, but little children, they forget what you say before you even finish saying it, you know? Sheep react to loud noises. Children are the source of loud noises, okay? Night and day again. Sheep also have no depth perception. I don't know if you know that. They are blind to almost everything. It's partly due to eye configuration, but they're almost blind by nature. Children see everything. Try to sneak something past a child. The, if you say you did it, then let me tell you what. You, you went to the Harry Potter movie and you got his cloak of invisibility. And you, that, that's the only way to get something past a child. You gotta be the sneakiest sneak to slide everything past them. Children see everything. So what's the point? The point is this. Sheep don't need a father. Sheep need a shepherd. And what a great shepherd God is to us. Isaiah 40, 11, two verses after the Advent one. God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. 
He gently leads those that have young. Jesus, many, many, many years later, comes in Matthew 9. We read this, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. But then you jump over to John 10, 14, and what does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They, they know my voice. I'm here to lead them. So look, whether you are a spiritual sheep or you are a spiritual child, God's got you covered completely. And I think we all know the truth of that last statement. We are all spiritual sheep and we are all spiritual children. We need both. Every one of us desperately need both the father and the shepherd. We're sheep and we're kids, but there's something else that we all are, and we don't like to admit this one. But every one of us before Jesus Christ, we are lost. We are drowning. We are sinners. We, again, deserve what? We deserve wrath. And so Jesus Christ comes to us most famously at the first Christmas, well over 2,000 years ago, and He comes as our hero, our rescuer, and our Savior. I think if, if I took a poll this morning, we would find out that very few of us have been in mortal danger before. Um, but ha, ha, let me do, well, i just ask a question. Has anyone ever been in mortal danger? I mean, like your life was going to end, okay? If, if you've ever in mortal, been in mortal danger before and you've had a hero step in, it's amazing. Whether, you know, you were standing in front of a bus unknowingly or wandering in front of a car and they snatched you back. Or whether maybe you were lying on an operating table and somebody with a team of professionals gifted in medicine, they saved your life. They removed the cancer. They put in that new organ. They repaired that valve, whatever. They gave you your life back. Or maybe you've had the experience of someone nursing you back to health, maybe from a drug addiction or something. I mean, my point is this. If you have ever had a hero step into your life like that, there is a sense of indebtedness and gratitude that stays with you your whole life. It doesn't matter how many years before it happened. It doesn't matter how far apart you are physically. Man, that is with you every day in the most real way. But the list would be even shorter if I, if I asked, has anyone had a hero step into their life and they died as a result of saving you? You know, the, the only, uh, I mean, I'm, my, my imagination is, I guess, short on this one, but, you know, I think of our military men. Military women, you know, maybe, maybe somebody took a bullet for you or someone went before you and they, you know, they scouted, they hit a mine or something, but they're no longer here and you are here because of them. Oh my gosh. I, mean, I struggle to imagine what that is like for about two seconds until I remember these words for us spiritually, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so what? Loved. God loved this world, meaning us, so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn it, but to, sa to save the world through him. And if we're unclear as to what this language means, 1 John 4, 19, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
I'm sure most of you have seen this today, but behind, I, I think it's just so cool, right behind this wreath is the cross. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He connected us to the Father. He shared the Father's love, talked about his kingdom, talked about rescue. He touched people. Oh my gosh, and, and, and firm people rose up well. People with broken lives were put back together. I mean, Jesus came and did that, but his great, the greatest thing he did was he died on that cross for all of our sins. Because we were wretched, because we were lost, because we had no way, we, there was no way for us to get back to God, so Jesus did that. I love the phrase in, in, in that last verse, this is love. And I want you to get that today as you look at the candle. As we close in, in a few minutes, this is love that God the Father chose to be with us. He's here. This is love that God is our Father. This is love that he cares for us like a shepherd. And this is love that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ saved us. He rescued us at the expense of his own life. And that's why whenever we celebrate love in human culture and, you know, you hear the poems and the songs and all this stuff, all that's great, but, man, it is, it's, it's, that's a poor warm-up act for what God did for us. And so today, here's how we're going to close um, Scott, where is Scott? Scott's going to come up. Oh, good for you. On the back step, brother. Um, Scott is going to lead us in a song, and it's just a beautiful old hymn. I love old hymns. And um, this one's called Here is Love. And as we sing this today, I, I want to invite you to lean into the love of God with your whole heart. If, if you find yourself at the end of this thing going, man, I really need to pray with somebody, good. We would love to pray with you. We've got prayer teams all around. They'll come up front. If, if we can pray for you about anything, but especially the matter of love, please come up here. Let us pray for you. But together as a congregation, let's celebrate it. Let's wrap the arms of our heart around love. Let's drink it in. And let's have the greatest Christmas we ever had because we got it. We got the point. We didn't miss the point. If you need prayer, come up, please. All right? Let's worship. Let's worship.